Thank you for joining us week one of our new series, Fighting for Your Family. How about that? Sometimes we don't think about the family as a place to fight. We think about fighting in business or fighting for our finances. But, you know, if you're going to have a great family, if you're going to have great relationships, you have to fight for your family. We're fighting for our kids. We're fighting for our marriages. We're, we're fighting for our relationships. We're, we're, we're fighting for those things. And we do so because it matters that much. If you're a single person, I'm so glad you're here today because you may choose to get married at some point in the future. And some of the things that we're going to talk about today may, may relate to that. God may want you to help somebody that's married if you're single. And truthfully, a lot of the things we're talking about today in the context of the family also relate to relationships in general, because it's amazing how God wants us to treat our family is oftentimes how he wants us to treat our friends as well. So there's so much overlap. So I'm just so glad that you're here regardless of your status, whether you're on eHarmony, whether you're like, you know praying for that special person to come into your life or whether you've been married for a very long time, I know you're going to be blessed by it. One of the reasons that we don't fight for our families is because we're just so worn out and tired. And it's easy to feel like, man, I don't think I can fight because I don't know if I have the energy to put into it. But the Apostle Paul gives us some things today. They're going to help us be motivated and encouraged to do what God has purposed for us to do. And I want you to take out your notes today and uh, in your worship folders, and you can follow along with where we're going. We're looking at the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, if you want to join us. And I'm going to give you five things that will create harmony in the home. Amen? Who's excited about the possibility of having more unity and more togetherness in the home. Does that sound good? That sounds real good, doesn't it? Somebody, somebody thought that. Yeah, I think so. Here's number one. We're going to have harmony in the home when we avoid paybacks. Avoid paybacks. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 17 challenges us by saying, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Now, let's look at that verse for just a moment. It says, don't repay evil for evil, but give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. It's human nature when somebody punches you to want to do what? Punch them back, right? Maybe twice. Amen. Some of you thought that this morning when you were coming to church. You know, you thought, I'm going to punch. You know, you could be a preschooler. I don't even think we have to be taught this. This is just human nature. If you kick me, I'm going to kick you back. Uh, we return evil for evil. Notice what the scripture says. The scripture says, listen, if you want to have harmony in the home, you don't pay back evil for evil. You pursue you pursue peace, you don't pay back, you step back. Did you hear that? You don't pay back, you step back. He says, take a step back, 
before you punch that person, take a step back. And it's so interesting because when you take the step back, you begin to kind of think about the offense. Somebody offends you. You take the step back. Okay, wait a second. Mm, Maybe it wasn't as offensive as I thought it was. Have you ever woken up the next day and you felt better about the conflict than you did the day that the hard conversation happened? you got to take a step back. When you take the step back, you may realize, eh, it wasn't as big a deal as I thought. Take the step back. Take the step back. Think about it a little bit. Things that we do in haste, especially in relationships, can breed more and more problems. So instead of the payback, we're going to do the step back. I think this is the spirit of Proverbs 15.1, where the writer of Proverbs said, a gentle answer turns away anger, but harsh words stir up wrath. In other words, if you want to amp something up, if you want to caffeinate your relationship, bring a harsh word. If you want to settle things down, a soft answer. A soft answer doesn't mean weakness. We think, well, I'm a weak person if I don't smack back, right? But actually, a soft answer de-escalates, and what does it do? It begins to create that harmony, that peace in the home. God wants you to have a home that is full of peace. And peace is not ignoring problems. Peace is dealing with problems in a godly way that allows you to move forward in the relationship. I I was at a conference this week and uh, we were doing like some life planning, setting goals and you know, the, the moderator is asking, what would you like for your life to look like? You know, but at the end, like, what, what would you like to have done? Personal, work, you know, there were different categories. One of the great things, one of the great comments that the moderator shared was that one of his goals in life was to die with no grievances. I thought, that is incredible. I don't know if a lot of people can say that. Like... I died, and I wasn't at odds with all these people. I had peace. I had peace with my children. I had peace with my spouse. I had peace with my extended family. I had peace with my friends, with my coworkers. I I had peace. I thought, what what a noble, what a great goal to pursue. We should, secondly, be pursuing peace. Pursuing peace, going after peace. Now look at verse 18, Romans 12, 18. He talks about this. If possible, everybody say if possible. If possible, as far as it depends on you, what? Live at peace with everyone. Okay, now I know that there are some crazy people out there, and you may not be able to live at peace with everyone. I love the Bible. The Bible's honest, right? The Bible doesn't just say, just say things that sound really awesome, and you're like, that doesn't work. So the scripture acknowledges the fact that there are, there are some people that you're just not going to have peace with. But he says, as far as it depends on you, Now let's talk about what you can do, right? Because 
There's a lot that you can do to bring peace into the home. Don't stop for just a moment and say, well, you don't know my difficult husband or you don't know my honorary wife. And pastor, if you knew the, the family that I had, you would understand why there was no peace. He says, listen, as far as it depends on you, you should pursue peace in the home. Do everything that you can do. Do whatever you can do. Go as far as you can. I know you can't change somebody's heart, but you can do a lot of great things to cultivate environments in the home that can create more unity and more togetherness. Amen? So instead of worrying about what everybody else is supposed to be doing, maybe we should look at our own hearts and say, hmm, what does God want me to do? Now, it's easy to provoke your spouse, isn't it? I mean, when you live with somebody, you know all of the things that get them. Is that true? Somebody said, I need to pray about that. No, you don't need to pray about that. Come on now. Yeah, my wife is a very detailed, orderly, organized kind of person. And the other day I said, honey, the lights were left on in the driveway all night long and then all day. And she said, yeah, I noticed that. And I said, well, don't we want to turn them off? And she said, well, the problem is that we have two light switches that run the driveway lights. We have one that's in the garage and then we have one that's by the front door of the house. And she said, I like both switches in the garage to always be down. And I said, well, that's, that's awesome, but that's great. But what if down is actually on? She said, I don't care. I don't care if the lights are on. I like the switches down. Now, the way that I think about that is very different. I'm like, you know, just turn the lights off. The lights are on or they're off. It doesn't matter which way the switches are going no big deal to me. So if I want to get my wife, guess what I do? I can go home and I can start messing with the light switches. Drives her crazy. It's really fun. She said I could share that. We know how to provoke our spouse. You know the things to say, the things to do that can kind of amp the environment up. And the question is, well, how do we pursue peace? How do we pursue peace? You know, having hard talks is a great way to pursue peace. Every marriage, every relationship has to have some hard talks. Sometimes we might need to talk to a Christian counselor to help us resolve some conflicts. Um, we ought to pray about the conflicts that we have. We ought to talk to God. And we also ought to practice the teachings of Scripture, especially found in Matthew chapter 18, about forgiveness and restoration. That's just the start. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the Bible tells us a uh, settle wrath before the sun goes down. We ought to follow those biblical frameworks, those biblical benchmarks and foundations in our life. And, and when, when that happens, guess what? We pursue peace. But you know what? A lot of families today are not pursuing peace because it's hard work. It's difficult. Who wants to go home and have those hard conversations? It's draining, it's exhausting. And so what we've done many times is we have swept under the rug the problems in our own families. Many couples today are struggling with uh, a porn problem. 
Maybe one of the spouses has a porn problem. It drives the other spouse crazy. And it's hard to talk about it. So what do we do? We just sweep it under the rug, don't we? That doesn't look that bad, does it? It's sticking out a little bit. It's a little bit of a mess, but, you know. The problem is, though, you know, we, we, we keep repeating what we've always done and we sweep more stuff under the rug. Um, I wish that we had more communication in the marriage. We used to talk. We don't talk anymore. We used to spend time together. Now we're just talking, having business meetings and paying bills and talking about responsibilities. Let's don't resolve that. Let's just kind of sweep that under the rug. Every marriage has trash. <laughs> and the question is, what do we do with it? Anger issues. Sometimes one or both parties can struggle with just losing their temper, going crazy, fits of rage. We don't really deal with it. The thing keeps popping out. And we stick it under the rug. And we take all of our trash... And it kind of becomes like a pattern. Nobody's looking. And if we're not careful, that can be our home. That can be our family. And it kind of has the veneer. I mean, it looks kind of good, right? I mean, sort of. Everything's great until it gets stepped on. And when it gets stepped on, things start to blow up. Things start to really um, reveal themselves in a much more significant way. When the scripture says, pursue peace, it's not talking about just sweeping problems under the rug. See, peace is not just not dealing with the issue. Peace is resolving it. So that you can really have peace. Peace is resolution. It's where we can come together, not just, well, he's going to do that and she's going to do this. And we'll just kind of hope for the best and hope it doesn't come up this month. And then below the surface, a lot of marriages, a lot of families have, have trash below the surface. And then it explodes. It goes ballistic. What does God want us to do? He wants us to begin to purge our families and to put our trash where it belongs in the trash can so that we can have the families that God so much desires for us to have. And if we'll begin to deal with the problems that are before us, we will have the healthy families and the experiences that we want to have. Gina and I have been married more than 20 years, and we've had a couple of pretty significant conflicts with different extended family members. One has been resolved, and it's awesome. What a blessing. One has not been resolved, and it's a, a source of constant pain, difficulties. Man, is there anything more beautiful and more wonderful than having peace in the home. And the way we do it is we got to get rid of the trash and quit sweeping things under the rug 
and start dealing with some things so that we can have the family that God wants us to have. That's the goal. So I'm pursuing peace. Pursuing peace may start with saying sorry. It may um, continue with doing nice things for our spouse and for our kids. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with every, everyone. God, what do you want me to do? Pastor Rick Warren says that every person is either a mute or a maniac when it comes to conflict. Some people go crazy ballistic. Some people don't say anything. He says you got skunks and turtles. And skunks and turtles always marry. So some are spraying people, some crawl in the shell. But we got to deal with our stuff. We got to deal with it. Now how do we do this? Trusting God. Look at number three. You're going to trust God. Romans 12, 19 says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. How do we have harmony in the home? Let God do what God does best. Now see, when we get punched, we want to punch back. The Apostle Paul says, listen, vengeance belongs to God. God is the one who settles scores. If somebody needs to be dealt with, God says, I will take care of it. But that's not your responsibility. We kind of feel like, well, that's between her and me. Or that's between us and them. And we pull God out of the equation and we think if there's a conflict, you know, we're going to just duke it out with that person. Don't forget about God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I mean, if somebody truly needs to get zapped, God's got it covered. Don't doubt for one second. If we had the ability to go around and zap people, we would probably push the red button all too often, would we not? God's a little more discerning. (laughs) God's a little bit more gracious. But I tell you what, at the same time, while the mercy and the grace of God is absolutely true, don't mess with God. Read the book of Exodus, man. I mean, what happened to Pharaoh? God parted the Red Seas and wiped out the armies and brought the ten plagues. Don't you mess with God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If God needs to handle somebody, God has it covered. So listen, when there's a conflict between you and somebody else, don't fall into the assumption that God is not part of the equation. See, the reason that you're not punching back is because of your relationship with God, not Not just because you're a pacifist. It actually takes more strength to show restraint. I'm going to let God handle them. If they crash and burn, that's between them and God. I'm not going to be the one who is exercising revenge and retribution. I'm not going to be the one putting my thumb on the scale. But you know what? We'll see what God does. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Now, Revenge is an awesome theme in movies. I mean, think about all the great movies with revenge. I went to see Rocky 1 the other day. It was at the theater. I'm talking like 1970-something, Rocky Balboa. Do you guys know it? Sylvester Stallone was all young and everything. I took my kids. I was like, listen, 
you guys need to understand who Rocky is. They're like, all right, Dad. And so Rocky loses just barely in the Rocky 1, but he comes back in Rocky 2 and he fights Apollo Creed again and he gets revenge for defeating him in the first movie. And it makes Rocky 2 even all the better because there's retribution. Amen. J-Lo had that movie a few years ago called Enough. Did you guys see that? Whoa, that was kind of a twisted movie, wasn't it? Her husband beats her. She escapes. She trains in the martial arts. After some period of time, she goes back. She hides these weapons in the house. She picks a fight with him in the house, and because it's self-defense, she kills him, and she's off the hook. Whoa. What would Star Wars, what would Batman, what would the Avengers be without revenge? It makes great movies. It makes a sick life. It makes a bad life. <laughs> when we get revenge, we become like the people that we hate. If I do wrong to you and then you do wrong back to me, you become like me. I become like you. It's a problem. When somebody hurts us, we respond to God. Vengeance is mine. It's a spiritual issue. See, when I'm hurt, it's not just a relational issue. It's between me and God. And vengeance is God's business. God's going to look out for you. Don't worry. He's got it covered. In Luke 9.54, the disciples, uh, James and John, saw this and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? I mean, is that like a great Bible verse right there? That's why they're called the sons of thunder, <laughs> James and John. Now, I have prayed a few times, Lord, would you bring some fire from heaven on some people? I mean, not, not a lot, but every once in a while, I, I do get tempted to pray that. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to bring down some fire from heaven. James and John, thank you so much for your help. I got this covered. But Romans reminds us, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, okay, when God sees fit. So I'm trusting God. If you're hurting, you got to be trusting God. If somebody's oppressing you, if somebody's putting you down, if, if you feel uh, mistreated in some way, God knows that. Trust that God is going to help you, and God is going to help that person with whatever they need. Here's the fourth thing i got to extend grace. I'm fighting for peace. How do I do it? I'm extending grace. Now look, the Bible goes to a new level. It doesn't say when people offend you and hurt you and put you down that you should just ignore them. Okay, check this out. It says you have to do good to them. Whoa. i, I got to do good to the people that I want to strangle? Look at it in verse 20. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals upon his head. Do good to the people who hurt you. That's why if you're upset with your spouse, keep doing good. If you have conflict with extended family members or other people in your life, keep doing good. Listen, the Bible calls us to a supernatural life. 
And I think this is one of the greatest evidences of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is the capacity to do good to people who are hurting us. I mean, this is difficult. We think at best, I just won't say anything. Do good to the people who put you down. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, why? He gives the rationale right there at the end of verse 20. For in so doing, you will heap fiery coals on his head. In Egyptian culture, ancient Egyptian culture, they would demonstrate public shame and guilt by putting hot coals in a pan and putting it on their head. And they would walk around and it was a symbol of shame and pain and and retribution or, or uh, remorse. And this may be a reference to that uh, in this passage. Um, Jesus said, turn the other cheek in the Gospels, didn't he? When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, some people think that that means that if somebody punches you in the cheek, that you should turn over and let them punch you in the other cheek. The cheek is a symbol of relationship. That's why if you go to certain places in the world, they kiss you on the cheek. Right? I don't know during the coronavirus if people are doing that as much. But I mean, you know, generally speaking, in biblical times, people would kiss each other on the cheek. The cheek is the symbol of relationship. He's talking about insults, not about you know, physical violence when Jesus says, turn the other cheek. But when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's talking about, he's echoing the same things that are being talked about here in Romans chapter 12. Now, I know some of you are like, okay, pastor, that sounds awesome at church. That's not going to work in my life. You don't know the people in my family. You don't know who I'm married to. You don't know my in-laws. Oh, my goodness. If you knew my in-laws, you would never say that. It's true that not everyone will respond positively, but you know what? Some will. When you do good to people who do bad, what happens? People look at their own life and they're like, you know what? I feel kind of bad. I've been so nasty to her and she's all nice to me. Maybe I should reevaluate my life and maybe I should be more like her. That's what it means to, to put those burning coals on somebody's head. It, it's a reality check for those that are hurting us. Now we, again, we tend to think if somebody's hurting me, the way that they, uh, they're going to reevaluate their life and priorities is if I punch them in the face again. That's how they're going to see it. Jesus' method, the Bible way, is different. Do good to those that are putting you down. Look at it again. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. So in the home, in the marriage, when you're frustrated, when you're upset, when you're thinking, I don't know if this is going to work out, keep doing good. As far as it depends on you, keep doing good extending grace, trusting God, and finally overcoming evil. Overcoming evil. Now here's kind of the summation of this whole text and this whole passage of Scripture. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. I mean, notice it doesn't say conquer evil with evil. 
Conquer evil with good. Don't be conquered by evil. In other words, when I return evil for evil, evil wins in my life. And I go to a really dark place of sin. When I refuse to be overcome by evil, I do so and by doing good. But conquer evil. And this word uh, conquer evil actually is, in the language of the New Testament, means keep conquering evil. In other words, every morning when you wake up, you have to make a decision to not return evil for evil. It's like a daily decision. I'm going to return good for evil. I'm not going to be overcome by it. When we're wronged, don't let it bring about spiritual defeat in our life. Don't be overcome by evil. Now, don't make the excuse that says, well, I'm going to be overcome with evil because they did something that was so bad and then I had to do it back to them. And so that's just kind of where my life is. No. In Christ, you can return good for evil. When people wrong you, you can do good back to them. And that's the way that, man, I tell you, that's the way the home is going to be strong. That's the way we get rid of the trash in the home, is returning good for evil. It implies there is a spiritual battle in our relationships. Don't be overcome by evil. In other words, don't be defeated. There's a war. Did you know the devil wants your family to be defeated? He wants you to feel like a loser. He wants you to be frustrated. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. And when that happens, we go down this pathway of returning evil for evil. How do we fight against it? I'm going to do good. Maybe God has put something on your heart today, a person and an action, and you're like, you know what? I need to go do good to so-and-so. It's going to do your soul really good. It's going to prevent you from going down that pathway of hate, which is so easy to do. Let's do that together. The word overcome is an interesting word in the language of the New Testament. It means um, to win or to be victorious. It's the Greek word Nike. Do you know that? Like the shoes, Nike, the swoosh. See, every time that you see the swoosh, you need to think about God's word. God wants you to be an overcomer. Uh, we were watching, Zane and I, my boy, we were watching um, The Last Dance. Did anybody see that? The, the uh, Bulls last season with Jordan, how they won the championship, the documentary. It was awesome. It was fantastic. We watched uh, one of those, and Zane said, Dad, I want some original Jordan high tops to wear to school this year. And I, it was a proud moment for me as a dad, you know? I was like, I used to play ball in classic Jordans. I will gladly buy you some shoes. So we got him the red and black ones, you know, the Chicago Bulls, like the original, original Jordan high tops. It was really awesome. I also noticed this week that in the basketball world that Nike has 86% market share when it comes to selling basketball high tops. I mean, like, the whole planet wears Nike. If you're wearing Under Armour 
or you're wearing New Balance, like there's something wrong with you, okay? You know, like everybody wears Nike. Why do people want to wear Nike? Well, they think of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, six NBA championships, five MVPs. And when you buy shoes, you think, I want to be victorious. I want to be a winner. And Michael Jordan, the face of Nike, was a winner. And I want to be like Mike. I mean, this is crazy. Jordan retired like 20 years ago or something like that. And people still want to wear his shoes. Why? Because he was so victorious. He was a champion. And you know what? Every one of us has a desire in the spiritual arena when it comes to home to be a champion. God wants you to be a champion. How can I be a champion in the home? I fight evil with what's good. I'm not going to be overcome by evil. I'm not going to go down the path of what the culture says I should do. I want to do what God has called me to do. Somebody criticizes me, I give them words of encouragement. Somebody gossips about me, I give them a compliment. I'm returning good for evil. In other words, don't be a victim, be a victor. It really is a spiritual battle. So how can I have harmony in the home? Avoid paybacks, pursue peace, trust God, extend grace, and overcome evil. When those things begin to happen in our life, it begins to get the trash out of our families and it allows us to move forward in peace to establish the homes and the lives that God so much wants us to have. Let's pray together for just a moment.